वसुदेवसुत कंसचाणुरमर्दनम देवकी परमानंदम कृष्णम वंदे जगद्गुरु so in the bhagavad gita we are on chapter 7 this chapter is called gyana vigyana yoga the yoga of knowledge and special knowledge on gyana and vigyana that that comes from the um second verse which we have already done where krishna tells arjuna that i'm going to tell you about gyana knowledge and vigyana the higher knowledge um after which nothing more remains to be known now as i have mentioned earlier the, uh, from the seventh chapter onwards you will find a great emphasis on the nature of god uh one might think well it's a religious book so we're going to talk about god anyway but yes but there are um, these three phases to the bhagavad gita uh, we discussed this earlier the great vedantic teaching that thou art tatvamasi if you look at it that way in that framework then the nature of thou that means the sentient being us that was the, the focus in the first six chapters and then in the next six chapters starting from the seventh one the focus is primarily on that that means god and then uh, the last six chapters the focus will be the identity of that and thou and again this is a very broad framework uh, there are lots of things in between which won't uh, exactly fit into this framework but broadly speaking and it is true that from chapter 7 onwards we will talk more and more about or more than we have been talking about god so the nature of god what is god what is this universe who are we that is being talked about a very very important few uh, uh, verses here um verses number 4 and 5 we did that la- yes uh, last time let me just chant those two again and we'll go on this is a very important two verses bhumirapo nalo vayu khangmano buddhirevacha ahankara iti yamme bhinna prakriti rashtada ಅಪರೇಯಂಟ್ರೆಸ್ಟಿಂಗ್ god says or the avatar of god krishna says this is my lower nature but if you look at it uh, you know one interesting thing strikes us that whatever we can cons- uh, whatever we experience whatever we know of this universe all of it comes into this low- lower nature first of all this universe um uh, you know stars and planets and galaxies and the living beings and non living beings Uh, you know mountains on this earth mountains and deserts and oceans and rivers the air and the water all of it all of it is what material nature and in the ancient cosmology it is all these five elements um, 
the space and air and fire and uh, you know water and earth or in modern terms all these um, uh, you know uh, veritable zoo of sub subatomic particles as one uh, particle physicist put it you know quarks and so on and so forth so all of these uh, they, they, this totally totality of material nature everything that you know including including what we know about ourselves which material science yet does not you know have a good grasp upon for example for he says not only this universe not only all see even all living beings our bodies are made of these five elements they're living bodies but they are made of these five elements so the bodies of all living beings uh, and the external physical nature all of it plus what else do we know we know that there is an another dimension to us our inner being most important to us our thoughts our feelings our ideas memories our personality our minds intellects and most important closest um, central to all of us is i the ego i the i sense and here krishna says all of it the external universe including our bodies and the internal universe our thoughts feelings emotions all of that all of that put together is my lower nature then what could be the higher nature um what else is there well there is consciousness so here a clear demarcation is made between consciousness and its objects everything else is an object to consciousness material nature is an object to consciousness external universe is an object to consciousness our own bodies object to consciousness our thoughts our emotions our memories our ideas even i the ego object to consciousness apart from all of this is consciousness itself and then he says all of this is my lower nature and apart from all of this is consciousness is my higher nature and this higher nature so oh so that is god no that's you it says jeeva bhuta it is the sentient being it's your real nature now we think i but i am this conglomeration um, of this body and uh, my thoughts and feelings my personality and yes if you insist awareness i'm conscious also i'm aware also all of it bundled together i am but here krishna says no 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 in you there are these two sides to you one is all of which you described your physical body a living body plus your uh, thoughts feelings emotions the inner world you have got of your personality but there's also another side to you you are aware you are a conscious being and that's not just one aspect of many things that is a central aspect that's what you really are you really are consciousness and that is my higher nature that's my real nature whose real nature your real nature and god says god's real nature he says my higher nature my real nature is consciousness is your real nature which is consciousness but you have an overlay of mind and body and you have forgotten your real nature you mixed it up with mind and body and you think you are an individual little sentient being a jiva a single sentient being separated from this vast universe separated from all other millions and billions of sentient beings um, the birth and death of the body which is lower nature you have taken it upon yourself say my birth my death my aging 
my suffering. There is suffering. Aging of the body, sickness in the body, reflected in the mind as pain and uh, uh, unhappiness. All of it is lower nature. And you are illumining all of it and experiencing all of it because you are consciousness. That consciousness is my higher nature. It, my higher nature here means Atma Bhutam, Shankaracharya says, my own self. That means God's own self, God's own nature is consciousness or awareness. But that it's, it's a pure awareness or awareness itself. What we think of as awareness is awareness plus mind. It's the awareness which is already mixed up in thoughts, feelings, emotions, the ego sense. So, um, by that consciousness, by the real nature, the entire universe is upheld or entire universe is supported. What does it mean? The entire universe is supported. It means this. This particular body, first of all, is enlivened, activated uh, because of the presence of awareness. You, consciousness, coming into the subtle body, you light it up. Then thoughts are experienced, um, feelings are experienced, ideas are experienced, memories are experienced, all of which is in the subtle body, but it becomes experienced once consciousness shines upon it. Consciousness shining upon the subtle body, if you remember Vedanta Sar, it's called Chidabhasa, reflected consciousness. Now, not only this happens, but the subtle body also constitutes, is constituted with prana, the uh, energy. So that energy now makes a life energy, which enlivens the physical body. Now you have a body-mind system, an active, uh, capable, because of your presence. And uh, here an ancient Sankhyan saying is relevant. Sankhyan saying it, it is um, Sanghata Parathatvat. Sanghata Parathatvat. What does it mean? Every complex entity, every compound entity is meant for something apart from that compound entity. What does that mean? That means, suppose there's a bed. A simple example. The bed has a pillow and it has bed, uh, bed sheets. It has a, a mattress and a, maybe a comforter. Now, all of that is meant for you. It's not meant for itself. The comforter is not there for the mattress. The pillow is not there for the bed sheets. Or the bed sheets are not there for the pillow. They're all arranged for something quite apart from the bed, which is you. Here is a house you live in. There are doors and ceiling and floors and electrical equipment and uh, uh, washroom and uh, you know the plumbing. All of it is meant for something quite apart from the house, which is the dweller of the house, who has really no connection with the house as such. But the house is constructed entirely for the use, your use, yet you are not part of the house. The door has not been made for the plumbing and the plumbing has not been made for the electricity. It is all there for you. So this is, this is called Sanghata Parathatvat because all compounded entities are meant for the use or for the purpose of another. Another means something apart from the compounded entity. So this here you can see just as a, an aside, just think this is quite different from the materialist reductionist point of view. According to the materialist reductionist point of view, which is adopted by mainstream science today, uh, is this entire universe 
which is a complex entity. Why is it there? For no purpose. It's just there. It's not there for anybody's purpose or any entity's purpose. Big Bang created it and the universe came into existence. Over millions and billions of years, you have stars and um, uh, galaxies, planets and all of that. And then life evolved somehow. And then the process of Darwinian evolution took over. And now you have, voila, you have you and I and him and her. We, we are here. For what purpose? No purpose. Just accident. It's all accidental. So that is um, the materialist perspective. But Sankhya says, if it's a complex entity, it is meant for another. So the whole material universe is meant for something else. Why am I saying this? Just as this entire physical body which is there is meant for you, the conscious and indweller who activates the physical body. Because of you, this physical body is active. And not only that, in, a long, in, a, in the long run or in, a, in the big picture, it is because of you the universe exists. Who has created the universe? God has created the universe. According to Vedanta, Saguna Brahman, the absolute with the power of Maya, has created this universe. Why? Why? For what purpose? For you. For me. What, what are we to do with this universe? It gives us experience and it enables us to evolve spiritually until we realize our true nature. So this is the idea in ancient Sankhya and also, of course, Vedanta, all, all these philosophies. They say that this uh, entire game of this universe entire game of life is meant for our spiritual evolution and enlightenment to reach, to experience and reach our infinitude and to enable us to see our own godhood. Why would God do all this for us? Because God says, you are my own, very own. You are my nature. You and I are one reality. So if somebody says, no, no, it's uh, God's play. Another way of putting it is the whole universe is the play of God. Correct. It's the same thing. It is God alone who has become us. And for our own sake, for our own spiritual evolution, this universe is uh, created and we are experiencing. So in one sense, it is God's play. We are all part of that God's play. Leela, they call it. A quick summary of what we did last time within a few sentences. Um, the entire Vedantic cosmology, how does it work? The ultimate reality is Brahman, existence, consciousness, bliss, Satchit Ananda. Uh, this is the absolute reality of Nirguna Brahman. Nirguna Brahma plus Maya, the power of Maya, is called Saguna Brahma. Uh, God with attributes or the absolute with attributes becomes the God of religion. Um, Ishwara, Saguna Brahma, uh, what is called you know, uh, Shiva or Vishnu or Narayana or Devi in various streams of Hinduism um, or the Ik Omkar in Sikhism or uh, the other theistic religions, God in Christianity or Allah in Islam or uh, Yehovah in uh, Judaism. How am I so easily saying that they are all the same? Notice the definition in each of them is the same. Who is Allah or God or, um, uh, you know, uh, Vishnu or uh, Shiva? It is that power which creates this universe, the creator. One common idea in all theistic religions, it's the power which creates the universe. It's one. 
So it's that one power which creates the universe is common definition in all the religions, then they must be talking about the same thing itself. So um, Saguna Brahman, now, uh, what does it do? From it appears the five elements, uh, air and space, uh, space and air and fire and water and uh, earth, um, the old cosmology. And these five elements are in a subtle stage. Uh, they combine to form our minds and in, you know, subtle bodies, which consists of mind, intellect, uh, memory, uh, which consists of the ego, and plus the pranas, the life forces. They're all constituted by the five subtle elements. Further, the five subtle elements uh, further combine with each other. Those who remember Vedanta Sara, you remember Panchi Karanam, the quintuplication the five-fold mixing, which produces the five gross elements or five physical elements. Again, space, physical space, uh, physical uh, air and fire and water and earth, out of a combination of which has, be, has formed the visible experienced universe. Our, these bodies and these worlds we live in, all of these are formed by the five uh, gross elements. And this game is going on. And this universe goes through cycles. It is produced. Uh, it exists for a while. For a while means a very, very long while. And then it, whatever has been put together, will fall apart. So it goes back into the state of dissolution. During its production or creation in Sanskrit, srishti. And while it is held together in Sanskrit, sthiti. And when it finally dissolves, collapses upon itself, that is called pralaya, srishti, sthiti, pralaya, projection or creation, sustenance or existence, and then finally dissolution uh, of the universe or collapse of the universe. But don't be disappointed. It's going to happen again and again and again. So it's this huge cycle over billions of years which repeats itself. Throughout it all, it is consciousness plus maya or saguna brahman which is doing all of this. Um, so this is the this is the Vedantic uh, cosmology. This is what is going on. But it is basically for our spiritual evolution that this whole game is going on. That's why Krishna says here, dharyate jagat. The entire universe is supported by these sentient beings. We don't we, we feel that I am not supporting this universe. I am just a tiny miserable fraction of it. But yet it is for our sake that. Uh, our heavenly father or mother uh, is uh, playing this game of the universe. Uh, it will go on until we reach enlightenment. Now, the next two verses are also very important. These four verses, when Krishna says here, I will give you jnana and vijnana, knowledge with special knowledge. It is basically, he means these four verses, four, five, six, seven. Sixth verse. Etadyoni nibhutani sarvanityupadharaya aham kritsnasya jagata prabhavapralayastatha. Says, Know that all beings have these two for their origin. I am the origin of the entire universe as also its destroyer. All right, Eta Dionini. This is the source of the entire universe. What is this? This lower nature and higher nature. 
this combination it's not consciousness alone it's not a material universe alone it's this combination of consciousness and a material universe which is what we experience right now around us what is materialism materialism says it's a material universe alone then what is consciousness consciousness is a byproduct an epiphenomenon somehow like a candle burning it produces a flame similarly a physical biochemical processes going on in this physical body uh, it produces consciousness so what you think yourself to be a conscious being it's just a byproduct it's just the dance of neurons it's biochemical reactions going on somebody said according to a materialist reductionist world view um there is no fundamental difference between us you know living sentient beings and the fizz in a soda bottle <laughs> like a coca cola bottle if you open it, it it bubbles and fizzes it's just a chemical reaction going on there similarly in this body also chemical reaction is going on therefore it produces us and that's one way of looking at it that's the materialist way of looking at it but according to what krishna is saying there are actually these two realities there is this material reality and there is this uh, consciousness and both are um, the both are the nature of one reality that's a very interesting thing he has said he says actually both are one reality that is i god or saguna brahman saguna brahman alone is consciousness and saguna brahman alone is this material universe how is this possible because we saw uh, earlier how consciousness plus maya produces or projects and sustains and destroys the material universe all the five elements and their play that's the material universe and on this side is consciousness and this consciousness has two aspects two aspects means its original nature as consciousness plus maya god and also its jiva nature sentient being as reflected in all these little bodies and minds and in ignorance somehow or the other not knowing ourselves and thinking of ourselves as little perishable sentient beings jivas um and this is ignorance this is not not the plan of god and it's not god's wish uh, how do we know if it was god's wish we could have never done otherwise but we can overcome this ignorance and realize our true identity with god it is possible that's what we are all trying to do so krishna here says etad yonini the combination of consciousness plus material bodies and minds is all these beings sarvani bhutani all beings here all living beings from the tiniest microbe to the mightiest elephant or blue whale um, to all of us human beings and even if there be beings in heaven you know angels and devatas and gods and all all those are combination of lower nature and higher nature are combination of a material nature and um the consciousness how does consciousness interact with material nature again vedanta sar consciousness is reflected in uh, the buddhi in the intellect in the mind as reflected consciousness and that's the consciousness that we feel right now when i say i and try to feel i you see it's like a distinct thought i and it's also an aware thought you'll always notice i think of that i as a mirror when you see a mirror your face is reflected in the mirror exactly like that you the pure consciousness when that i thought comes up you are reflected in that i thought and that i thought lights up as a as a conscious aware i only problem is is that 
I forget myself that I do not know somehow that I am this pure consciousness. And I start thinking I am that shining I. What is moksha? One sadhu in Uttarakhand put it nicely. The world will go on in its own way. An appearance in maya. Body will also go on. It has been born, it is going on, it will age, it will succumb ultimately. You will walk and talk and eat. Mind will also go on. Thinking, feeling, remembering, waking, dreaming, sleeping. Mind, that is all mind. Prana will also go on. Breathing in and breathing out and becoming hungry and assimilating food and so on. All of these activities will go on as like a film show in Maya. And in this mind, Hindi he said, Jilmil Jilmil Kati Hui Apni Chetan Swarup. The twinkling, like a star twinkling in the mind will be your reflection. The reflection of you, the consciousness. When you know that it's, here is the mind. Here I am reflected in the mind as this little flash of awareness in the mind. But this is me, the unlimited awareness. This is moksha. This is mukti. The clear freedom from this little personality. This little personality will go on. And the mind will go on. Thinking and willing and doing whatever it's doing. And in the mind will go on this little flash of awareness. This twinkling of awareness. But you will see the mind and the twinkling of awareness is not you. It's not you. You're completely free of it. And that is moksha. Bhutani. The word is Bhutani. Bhutani means elemental. Um, What are the elements? Space, air, fire, water, earth. Akasha, um, Vayu, Agni, um, Apa, Prithivi. And this has there are five subtle elements and then they have five gross forms Um, again the gross uh, space air fire water and earth so here he means not only the subtle elements but now he's talking about the gross element gross five gross elements or five physical elements and all these beings are because of this interaction of consciousness this higher uh, nature and lower nature Sarvani Bhutani. All living beings, but also the non-living material nature. This is consciousness plus material nature. Just thinking, um, David Chalmers, when he talks about panpsychism, that consciousness is an all-pervasive reality in this physical universe. He thinks of it as another physical reality uh, or material reality, some kind of material reality. He's not very far from this idea of the, what Krishna is saying, higher nature and lower nature. There are two realities, consciousness and material nature. All right. Um, Sarvani Bhutani. Then he says, Aham Kritsnasya Jagata Prabhava Pralayas Tatha. I am the, the source the sustenance and the destruction. Literally here, of the entire universe, I am the uh, origin and um, the place of dissolution or the destruction, the place where everything is destroyed. I, God, consciousness plus maya of this entire universe. So what is the cause? of? Um, see, everything that we know has a cause. Uh, it is produced by something else. We, we produced uh, 
by our parents. But our parents, their bodies also were produced ultimately from the food that they ate. And the food that they ate has come from this earth. And it's a mixture of the five elements. So earth itself is a product. So if you trace it back, what is the cause of the earth also? What is the cause of this physical universe? The best that we can do now, we trace it back to a big bang. So if you go to the science museum here, uh, the planetarium in, in the Museum of Natural History, you'll actually, there'll be a huge explosion, a big bang suddenly, and lots of particles will come out with lots of radiation. Over time, they will cool down and many more particles will be formed. The first proto stars will be formed. And from there, uh, other material will come out, which will now condense into planets and planetoids and you know, uh, meteor, uh, comets and so on. And the planet will cool down, and from there, you know, it'll be like oceans will be there. Often, I mean, it's, it's pretty interesting. Um, space, and then there's some vibration, there's a big bang, and then fire, radiation. And then uh, there is planets with water bodies, you know, water. And then the land emerges. Literally, <laughs> some, uh, this is so interesting to see space and from their air and from their fire and from their water and from their land. And then emerges our living beings, all these living bodies and so forth. That is called creation. From our perspective, scientific perspective, the Big Bang is the furthest that we can go. If you ask before the Big Bang, they'll only say there is was a singularity from a perspective of physics. But what is that singularity and what caused that singularity? Religion will say there's a power beyond that also. And Krishna here is saying, I, consciousness plus Maya, Saguna Brahman, am the cause of that singularity which sets in motion this entire universe. So that is called creation. Now, um, the definition of God always involves this. In the Brahma Sutras, the Sutras on Brahman, the first Sutra is Athato Brahma Jigyasa. Hence, therefore, an inquiry into Brahman. So all of these, each of these words have long commentaries, detailed commentaries by Shankaracharya. But anyway, the question arises, an inquiry into Brahman, fine. But what is Brahman? So second sutra defines Brahman. Janmadhyasya yataha. Birth, etc. of this from which. <laughs> scriptic. What does that mean if you expand it? Uh, that reality from which this universe was born, in which it exists, into which it shall finally disappear, only to be reborn. That reality is called Brahman. In Sanskrit, Asya Jagata, Janmasthiti Bhanga Yasma Tad Brahma. So the, that is Brahman, from which this entire universe, it, it, it is born, in which it exists, and into which it finally disappears. One good way of understanding this is looking at our dream experiences. Think about it. When we fall asleep, we forget this world, we forget our bodies, we forget that we're sleeping, and a world of dreams appears in which there, is, there are people, indeed you are there yourself, and activities are going along, and you're meeting people and things are happening. Um, there is space, there is a dream space, and you don't know you are dreaming. It looks like a normal world. There is there's space and there is uh, air and water and earth and so on, fire and all of that. And time is there. Space and time are there. 
there's some kind of causality is also there so all of this is produced by you you with the unique powers of your dreaming mind you with the unique powers of your dreaming mind um, because of sleep the cause is actually sleep which hides the reality of the waking from you because of that a dream world is produced by you plus the sleeping or dreaming mind exactly like that god whose unlimited consciousness plus maya produces this universe this waking universe of ours and while the universe while the dream universe remains it is you who is upholding it isn't it as long as you cre- keep dreaming that place will be there those people will be there that dream will continue if you wake up it will disappear none of that exists without your dreaming it's your dreaming which is sustaining that dream universe so in the ex- exactly the same way it is god plus maya which sustains even at this moment moment to moment it sustains this existence and then finally destruction pralaya pralaya means dissolution or destruction what happens to the dream universe when you wake up it disappears into what into your mind where it came up it disappears like the movie screen in which the movie appeared and existed and will also disappear back into the screen exactly like that the dream universe disappears back into your dreamer's mind when you fold it all up and get up exactly like that this physical universe also uh, is resolved back into uh, into um, into maya the power of consciousness at the end of the universe so uh, i have told a story earlier also one of the stories i read Uh, in um, childhood a science fiction story about the end of the universe uh, so very interesting it's it's a common idea in indian cultures that it's the universe goes through cycles uh, creation exists for billions of years disappears and again it's created and so on so this is a buddhist story uh, this i forgot in the name of the author a very nice story where uh, it is some ibm engineers in their in the 1960s they get a contract from tibet this this was before the chinese invasion so late 50s or some uh, late 50s probably so they get a contract from tibet from the dalai lama and of at that time uh, that we need a computer in those days the computer in those days so the engineers they fly to india to nepal and from there they go to tibet with a with a caravan of yaks they have the disassembled computer plus generators because there's no electricity in the monastery there in the mountains of tibet tibet and it's a very nice story so there they reach the monastery and the, the tibetan lamas welcome them so they ask what do you need the computer for and then they tell a story that we have this ancient prediction that these this these sutras are there they are uh, the 9 billion names of god yes that's the name of the story 9 billion names of god so there are these 9 billion names of god and we have to chant them and uh, once the chanting is finished the universe will disappear the universe is going to disappear so it's a bit of bit of a mixed up story because now we know the tibetan lamas don't believe in god anyway <laughs> um, so the theistic god is not part of the religion but this the, the author made a nice story about it so he said that um, now the engineers don't believe any of it they think it's it's a superstition but anyway they have a contract and the lamas tell them 
We have been chanting for a thousand years now, but we still haven't completed the nine billion names of God. But we have heard of these amazing machines made by IBM. So it can chant much faster than us. So can you program it to chant the remaining names of God so the universe will come to an end? The engineers think, what superstition? Anyway, it's a contract, so we'll have to fulfill it. So they put the, com the uh, computer together, uh, fire up the generators and make the punch cards and whatnot. Uh, and then they're going to have the grand inauguration when the computer will start churning out the remaining names of God, last few million names of God. And they calculate it. It'll just take a few hours and then the whole chanting will be over. Now the engineers think that, look, very soon these monks will realize nothing is going to happen. I mean, so obviously the universe won't come to an end. We have to make good our escape because otherwise they might get angry at us and they beat us up. So, so they make their escape at night when the computer is still chanting and uh, you know, the Tibetan plateau covered with snow. It's very beautifully depicted. And these engineers, as far as I remember, the, the engineers are sneaking away from the monastery and uh, the lamas are busy waiting for the nine billion names to end, and the universe to end. And in the dark, in the snow, they are hurrying along to get as far away possible from the monastery before the lamas go wild. Uh, and then one of the engineers, that's the end of the story. That's the twist in the tale of the story. Last, it's, it's quite thrilling. One of the engineers says, look, look up at the sky. And they look up at the sky and they see the stars were beginning to disappear. A great darkness was spreading across the universe. So the universe is ending actually. So, <laughs> so there's a very interesting story. Uh, so this is something that is um, common to all the Indian cultures, that the universe goes through multiple cycles of uh, creation, existence, and destruction. Somebody got hold of the story? I think. Yes, the nine billion names of God. Who's the author? A very famous writer. Is it Arthur C. Clarke? Or, um, oh, it's a famous story. Arthur C. Clarke, yes. Right. Right. Good. <laughs> Read it if you like. You might, you might enjoy it. So they go through these um, cycles. And here, uh, so the definition of God is always where the cycles of the universe are because of God. Here he says, From me, aham kritsnasya jagata prabhava pralayastatha. I am the... Um, or the entire universe and the source and the existence of this universe and the destruction and the place where the universe disappears finally, finally again to re-emerge in the future. Now let's go deeper than this. The seventh mantra. Matta parataram nanyat kinchidasti dhananjaya mai sarvam idam protam sutre manigana iva Higher than myself, there is nothing else, O Dhananjaya Arjuna. In me, all this is strung like gems in a string. All right. A very deep verse here. Here he says, I am the first cause. I am the material cause. And indeed, I am beyond all cause and effect. I'll repeat that. I am the first cause and the material cause. And indeed, I am beyond all cause and effect. What does it mean? Remember, this chapter is about God, the real nature of God. So we are going to see the three different, the deeper and deeper understanding of God. 
The first understanding of God is the God, the creator, preserver, and destroyer of the universe, which is already said. Um, God is not only the creator, but also preserver and destroyer, sustainer and dissolver of this universe. That is the personal God worshipped in religions. What is called, so Krishna is saying here, I am the avatar of my real nature is Vishnu, the personal God which all Vaishnavas worship. Or the same thing might be worshipped as uh, Shiva by all Shaivas or as the divine mother Devi by all Shaktas, worshippers of Shakti. Or if you take it as you know the God worshipped by uh, Christians and um, uh, Muslims and the Jews, theistic God, which by the way, the Lamas in the Tibetan monastery actually don't believe in all that. But at that time, Arthur C. Clarke didn't know all that. Um, all right. Now a deeper meaning of this. Let's go in a more profound conception of God. God is the creator of the universe. But what is the material or the substance out of which God, uh, this universe is created? Already Krishna has answered two natures. My material nature and my consciousness nature. Lower nature and my higher nature. Material universe, the five elements and so on. Mind and um, all of that. And consciousness. So, just as the material continues in the effect, I'll repeat, the material cause continues in the effect. Clay, which you make into pots, what happens to the clay? It's right there. Now you're calling it a pot. Water, which appears as waves in the ocean. So it's a wave. What happened to the ocean water? It's right there. Now you're calling it a wave. See, the cause, the material of the wave is water. The material of the pot is clay. And where is the clay? When the pot is there, when is the clay? There itself. It is the clay. That pot is the clay. And where is the water? When there is a wave. It is the water. It is the water itself. What is the material cause of a dream universe? It is the dreaming mind. Okay. But when I am seeing this dream universe people and space and time and all the wonderful things happening in a dream or the frightening things happening in a dream. Where is the mind? There itself. Whatever you are seeing is actually the mind. Though it doesn't look like a mind. It feels like real people and real things. Similarly, God is the material cause of this universe. Made of what? Lower nature, higher nature. What he just already said. Therefore, when you experience this universe right now, you are experiencing God. You are experiencing God in the form of um, space and air and uh, uh, fire and water and earth. You are experiencing God in the form of mind and intellect and memory and ego. You are experiencing God as the self-shining consciousness, which you think yourself to be, which you see yourself to be. All of this is nothing other than the material cause of this universe, which is God. It is in this sense that God uh, pervades the universe. It is in this sense that God sustains the universe. What sustains the pot? What is the reality of the pot? What holds it together? Clay. What sustains the wave? Water. What sustains the universe in a dream? Mind. So, uh, in the same way, it is God through his lower and higher nature who sustains this universe right now. And that means the material cause of this universe is God. The lower nature and the higher nature of God. So whenever we encounter the lower nature and higher nature of God, let us not forget we are encountering God. 
This is what Swami Vivekananda said. We Hindus worship a transcendent, immanent God. A transcendent, immanent God. So you have two conceptions of God. One is that the personal God, Shiva, Vishnu, Devi, God of the Father in Heaven, or Allah, uh, Jehovah, the personal God who creates this entire universe. A deeper analysis reveals the cosmic God, the immanent God who is in and through this universe. This is a point of huge debate and controversy and endless violence, uh, in, uh, especially in Islam and uh, controversies in Judaism and Christianity also. How far will we admit that God exists in the universe? Because if you make God existing in the universe, isn't there a danger of pantheism, taking the universe as God? Then chairs and tables are God? This is a very serious question. This is exactly the question which Narendranath asks Sri Ramakrishna. When he first hears about Advaita, he says, what nonsense? Is the, are the pots and pans God? The doors and chairs, the tables and chairs, are they God? Uh, are the rishis, the, the sages of the Upanishads, are they crazy? <laughs> Sri Ramakrishna, of course, did not give any arguments. He just touched Narendranath and Narendranath saw it to be so. The same divinity pervading everything. But we do not have that power. So we have to rely on our poor intellects to try to understand what is being said here. Transcendent but immanent also. In and through. As the material cause of this universe. Everything here is nothing but God. So this is the deeper understanding of God. First understanding, personal God. Second understanding, transcendent, immanent God. Cosmic God. Here, what you are seeing now. Even deep, deeper, he says, parataram I am the highest, supreme. There is nothing beyond me. Which means the absolute Nirguna Brahman talked about in Advaita Vedanta is also I. So go a little further. So all is God. Here he is saying no. If you go further again, it's not that all is God. Only God is. So Advaita is not pantheism. It's not that everything here is God. You say, but Swami, you just said that everything is God. No. God alone is. It's not that God has become the universe. It's that the universe is not. God alone is. When you dream, does your mind actually become houses, stones and rivers and uh, um, trees and dogs and cats and people? No. Without actually becoming anything, mind remaining mind, all of these appear and you can experience it. Brahman, the ultimate reality, remaining the ultimate reality because of the power of Maya, the appearance of the universe. Without God actually becoming space and air and fire and water and earth, without God actually becoming mind and intellect and ego, without God actually becoming stars and planets and mosquitoes and um, blue whales, it all appears to be so from the perspective of pure consciousness. That transcendent real, um, reality, Nirguna Brahman, I am. That's my real nature. So you have three conceptions, deeper and deeper conceptions of God. The first conception is the God of religion, the personal God whom we adore, worship in real. You can be, devotees can experience this God as um, uh, you know, Mira experienced Krishna uh, or um, um, Sri Ramakrishna experienced Kali, the divine mother. That's the personal God. And the deeper understanding of God is the cosmic God. 
God who is transcendent immanent beyond this universe and yet appearing in and through this entire universe as its material cause. What material? Lower nature, higher nature, already mentioned. And beyond that, neither the cause of this universe nor the effect of this universe. What is the effect of the universe? This universe itself is the effect. In Sanskrit, karya. What is the cause of this universe? Higher nature, lower nature. In Sanskrit, karana. So the cause and effect of this universe, that's the second understanding. Beyond cause and effect, beyond causality. Nirguna Brahman, the absolute of Advaita Vedanta, where one without a second. There is only one reality, existence, consciousness, bliss, without a second. That's my uh, highest or ultimately real nature. So three understandings of God. As Again, look at it this way. In the first understanding of God, personal God, where are we in there? We are the devotees. Some, are, some believe in it, some do not believe. The non-believers are you know, those who are atheists, they don't believe in God. And we believe in God, we are devotees. The Lord is, uh, all is omniscient, omnipresent, omnipotent, um, all-knowing, all-powerful, um, present everywhere. Um, and is the one who protects the devotee, grants the prayers of the devotee, uh, gives uh, peace and security to the devotee frees the devotee from the bonds of samsara. But there's a Lord, I am the, uh, I'm different from the Lord, I am the devotee. We are different. Maybe I'm the servant of the Lord or a devotee or um, a child of the Lord. The Lord is my mother or father or master. But as you go deeper, the cosmic God, God who is everything, transcendent, in an immanent God, then I cannot be different from that God. I, the individual, now I become a tiny part of that God. God is the whole of which I am a part. So I am a part of an organic um, divine unity. And then we go to the third conception of God as the non-dual reality, which only appears as this universe, but there's no reality to the universe at all. It has not become anything. The non-dual reality alone exists. Then I and that reality are one reality. I have, and in that case, I am not the body, not the mind. Both are appearances. I am consciousness. God is consciousness, and it's one consciousness without any division, without any part of whole or part. Then I am that Aham Brahmasmi. Notice we have gone through Dvaita, Vishishta Dvaita, and, uh, and Advaita. Uh, the uh, dualistic approach where there's a difference, a real difference between us and the divine. And then the difference is erased. The difference only becomes one of part and whole. We are part of a divine whole. And then no part and whole either. There's only one non-dual reality. We come to non-dualism. That's the third and the deepest understanding of God that we get here. Purnatvam, completeness. So this is what he calls the uh, knowledge and special knowledge. Jnana Vijnana, which he promised, Krishna promised. By the way, when you say avatar, incarnation, Krishna is an incarnation. Incarnation of, who, of whose incarnation? Which conception of God admits to an incarnation which is possible? This is the first one, personal God. Krishna is incarnation of Vishnu or Narayana. So incarnation comes from the personal God. Personal God's incarnation comes for the devotee. Why not the cosmic God? In that case, we are all incarnations of, of, of the personal uh, of the cosmic God. God, which is everything. So all of us are manifestations of that, that God. 
and if you go further the non dual uh, divinity of advaita vedanta there is no incarnation is possible because no manifestation is permitted there at all it's only one reality without a second and the great thing is all three are possible all three paradigms are possible you can apply them here and now exactly as this world is now it's not that the world has to be destroyed and then only you will understand that non dual reality the world all has to be merged together into an indistinguishable mass then we are all part of it no even as it is now even as we seem scattered in time and space seem to be locked into individual bodies and separate from each other actually right now we can relate to the divine as devotee and god or we can see ourselves as part of one ocean of divinity or we can see ourselves as one reality that one non dual reality i am brahman okay let's take the questions this actually okay just me give let me just give the example which krishna has given sutre manigaṇaiva just like um a string a thread on which are put pearls of a necklace i am like the string on which pearls of a necklace are put so i am the support of this universe means uh, i i keep the necklace together the thread which is not seen which runs through all the pearls in the pearl there is the thread and it runs through all the pearls and it keeps the universe and keeps the necklace together like that i am the thread which runs through this entire universe of all living and non living beings as what as their material nature as their um, cause as the material cause what is that material cause lower nature higher nature the what was mentioned in fourth and fifth verses so i am like a string which runs through all the pearls of the necklace i am the support which runs through the entire universe um shankaracharya in his commentary he gives another example dirghatantu pateshu like a long thread which has been woven into a cloth so here is a cloth but it's made of thread so i am the thread which has been woven into a cloth but the cloth is nothing but the thread wherever you touch the cloth it's the thread itself it looks like a piece of cloth but everywhere it's the thread itself so similarly i am the thread which is in in which is woven the the universe i'm the warp and the woof of this universe basically i'm the constituent of this universe this is the second conception of god the immanent transcendent immanent being which constitutes this entire universe okay let's take the questions we go with peter um, hello peter good to see you you have to uh, unmute yourself hi uh, swami ji i actually i think i may have raised my hand by mistake but uh, oh, okay uh, sorry namaskar yeah right that's one question dissolved uh, are you uh, here in new york or in uh, uh, iceland oh thanks for asking no i'm here in new york uh, my wife and i got back to iceland uh, i think 6 months ago so but yeah oh, okay. we were there for about 2 months yeah okay okay it was okay. good to know let's look at the questions in the chat one question is is there suvigyana what is suvigyana i'm not very sure we'll come back to that later this time 
Uh, Sean Lee says, what are the attributes of consciousness? Good question. What are the attributes of consciousness? Is somebody shaking their head? Yes, you're right. None. Everything is an attribute of consciousness and nothing is. Because everything appears in consciousness. Therefore, you can say everything, plants, animals, um, tigers and wolves and stars and planets, all that is experienced in consciousness are the ornaments of consciousness, uh, thoughts and feelings and emotions. But they are not attributes of consciousness. They don't belong to consciousness. They are appearances in consciousness. It's like the screen on which the movie plays. So you have villains um, and who, uh, you have good people, heroes and villains. I remember the first movie I saw, I don't remember much about it, but my father had taken me to a cinema hall to see a movie. And I, I remember that much. That I, uh, I was bugging my father. I just wanted to know whether this person was a good person or a bad person. So uh, is, he, is he the goodie or the baddie? Um, my father would have to whisper it to me. Then I said, ah, then I would be satisfied. Now, is the screen a goodie or a baddie? So you say none. It has nothing to do with the screen of the movie. Uh, but it, the screen enables the goodie and the baddie to appear and do their thing. Similarly, consciousness has no attributes. You might ask here, are we supposed to believe it? Um, uh, is there any reason behind it? There is. Everything that is revealed in consciousness is an object and is not consciousness. So whatever is revealed in consciousness is an object. An attribute must be revealed. See, if consciousness has an attribute, would it be knowable or unknowable? If it is knowable, then it's an object. It doesn't belong to consciousness. If it is unknowable, it's not objectifiable. Then what's the point of talking about it? What kind of an attribute would it be? So even logically, consciousness does not have uh, attributes or um, characteristics. It doesn't have, what, did that, what does that mean? It doesn't have size, doesn't have weight. It doesn't have an extension in space. It doesn't have um, you know, duration in, in time. It doesn't have um, um, you know, color or shape. Um, it doesn't have texture or a feel to it, even it's not rough or smooth, it's not happy or sad. None of these apply to consciousness. But because of consciousness, all these are experienced. Girish says, why are we deluded our true nature in the first place? Is it an evolutionary construct inherent in the object world? So this is the question which will come up once in a while. Every month or so, somebody has to ask this question. Why? You know, my uh, a strictly logical answer, which I'll give you, which satisfied me, actually. The strictly logical answer is this, uh, is the question is wrong. So Vivekananda says the question itself is wrong. Why is the question wrong? One might ask, why is the question wrong? Because notice, what are you asking when you ask, why is there uh, delusion or ignorance? Let's call it, why is there uh, ignorance in the first place? Um, you are asking for an explanation. You're asking for a cause of ignorance. But as I said, ignorance is maya and it's constituted of uh, three things, time, space and causation. So causation is part of the very structure of or the, or the constituent, um, cons constitution of ignorance. Now, it makes no sense to ask, why is there causation? 
just like it does not make any sense to ask what is outside space. The moment you say outside, you have already accepted space. There is space, then there's only outside inside. Uh, it doesn't make sense to say what is before time because the moment you say before, you've already accepted before and after are time words, accepted time. The moment you ask why is there ignorance, you're asking why is there causation? What is causation? Why and an answer to why. Cause and effect. You see an effect and you ask why. You, have to, you are asking for a cause. You've already accepted causation when you ask why. You've already accepted ignorance when you ask why, about ignorance. In Maya, in the world of Maya, you can ask why for everything. But for Maya itself, you can't ask why because the moment you ask why, you've accepted causation. Think, think it through. It took me quite some time to see what, what an elegant answer that is to the question, why is the question wrong? Because the question is self-defeating. Or you can put it in a much more simple way. I think it was Asheshanandaji or one of the Swamis on the, on the West Coast who said, on this side of enlightenment, we have the question, but not the answer. On that side of enlightenment, the enlightened ones, they have the answer, but they don't have a question. Notice it doesn't seem to bother them. Why is this universe there at all? Nobody who's attained enlightenment, who's uh, like an advanced spiritual seeker or a, a saint, enlightened being in any religion, any, none of them at the end of their you know, spiritual lives, when they have attained God realization or beatitude or whatever it is, will they say that one problem remains? Why is there ignorance or delusion? Nobody, nobody asks that. So that means it's not a problem for them anymore. Bill says, it's amazing that the contents of the mind and brain activities are more or less coordinated. True, but if, the, if it's an instrument, it would be coordinated. Uh, it's like um, um, the coordination between the steering wheel of a car and the way it, way it is going. The way the wheels turn and the way the car is going, it will have an amazing coordination with the movement of the steering wheel because it's an instrument to guide the car. Similarly, if consciousness is using the mind and the nervous system as instruments, you would, you would naturally see some kind of uh, you know, flicker there. Uh, in the Vedantic system, it's not even consciousness. In Vedantic cosmology or Sankhyan cosmology, it is the mind which is using the brain. So the contents of the mind, the vrittis in the mind are material. Notice what, uh, in fact, Krishna's um, statement here can answer Bill's question. And Bill says, it is amazing that the contents of the mind and brain activities are more or less coordinated. In Krishna's answer, what is the lower nature? The lower nature is the five elements, mind, intellect, and ego. What is the brain made of? Five elements. The activities of the mind are material, lower nature. Activities of the brain are material, no lower nature. Mind and brain are interacting or somehow mind is using the brain. Therefore, an activity in the mind can be reflected in the brain and should be reflected in the brain, actually. They are not uh, entirely different. The brain is the physical part of a system which extends to the mind. And according to Sankhya and Vedanta, mind and brain are both material. They're both objects. The problem starts with the Descartian mind-brain duality, where he sees the mind as something entirely different the brain is something entirely different, thus raising that the problem of interaction. So Descartes himself had to face this question. 
how does this mind which is spiritual in nature according in the words used by Descartes and the brain which is material in nature how do they interact where do they interact you see the problem where they will interact if they're entirely different where they interact that place must be either material or mental but uh, it has to share in the characteristics of both otherwise how will it interact I think it was uh, Descartes who came up with the idea of the pineal gland being the meeting place of the brain and the and the mind but in principle it doesn't solve the problem pineal gland is a physical place it's a part of the brain the nervous system uh, so it it how does the mind even if it's the pineal gland how does it uh, affect the pineal gland and Descartes goes on to say he digs the hole deeper and deeper if you see Descartes meditations he says there are vapors in our nerves and they are pushed along by our thoughts. And those vapors push the uh, activities in the brain. But even the vapor must be material, no matter how uh, gaseous it is. So how would a thought push a vapor around? Anyway, so that's a big problem. But in the uh, Sankhyan or Vedantic system, um, both mind and the brain are material. So they can interact in principle. Shiva Priya says, when consciousness is reflected on buddhi, so is it that once realization, enlightenment, the time taken does depend on the degree of buddhi? And that degree of buddhi depends on my karma. Degree of buddhi, what would you mean by degree of buddhi? Um, you might say purity of the buddhi or the subtlety of the buddhi. Yes, a good deal of it depends on our karma. But what it depends upon the, is the use that we put the buddhi to. We, if you use the, apply the buddhi, to Vedantic analysis, or let's say in a more liberal sense, a spiritual path, an inquiry, then that buddhi will serve you. That buddhi is already equipped to give you enlightenment. It's just that we don't use the buddhi in that sense. We use it to play the stock market. We use it to make um, write novels or whatnot. We use it for a variety of, of things. We were just reading today in the morning uh, the spiritual teachings of Swami Brahmananda, where Swami Brahmananda tells a young man, that um, the amount of energy that you put in, you know, passing examinations, one twelfth of that energy, he says, uh, he says it will be enough to reveal to you the teachings of the scriptures. If you apply it to the scriptures, one twelfth, he says, that's enough and uh, eventually lead you to enlightenment. Bill says, um, Brahman. Not Brahmin, Brahman. Brahman is a caste. Brahman plus Maya, Saguna Brahman. It sounds like Maya is a separate reality. Yeah. So in Sankhya, there are two realities, consciousness and material nature. Whereas in Vedanta, it's one reality. Maya is the power of Brahman. If it's the power of Brahman, then why are you saying Brahman plus Maya? Because uh, the power is also ultimately... Um, are not of the same grade of reality as Brahman itself. Brahman is reality itself. It has this extraordinary power which produces this magical display, uh, but it is not a second reality apart from Brahman. Just as sleep and the mind. Now, the sleep has a unique power. It uh, makes the mind forget the waking state and it becomes the foundation for dreams. Without sleeping, you can't dream. Uh, but the sleep is not something separate from the mind. 
it is a power inherent to the mind. Of course, one may say it's an imperfect example because the mind is active and you are again and again saying that Brahman is not something that is doing things. It's not dynamic. But the mind is dynamic. Um, so imperfect example. Anyway, Maya is not a second reality. To be a second reality, it must be able to exist apart from Brahman. But it can't exist apart from Brahman because nothing can exist apart from Brahman because Brahman is defined as existence itself. Just as a pot is not a second reality apart from the clay. You say the clay is name and form. Then the name and form seem to be something apart from the clay. It won't be. You take the clay away, name and form don't hang in, uh, in the air. It has no power except through, uh, through the clay itself. Maya itself, which is the power of Brahman, has no ability to do anything, not even exist without Brahman. Sangeeta says, so sleep here hides the reality of the waking world or the unreality of the waking world. Oh, here I'm giving an example. When you say sleep hides the reality of the waking world, so makes dreams possible. So I'm giving an example of waking and dreaming to explain how consciousness projects, uh, uh, you know, or maya projects a universe. The example is that when you dream, you see so many things in the dream. And whatever you see in the dream is um, the sleeping mind. The mind itself appears as all the entities in your dream. So your sleeping mind, dreaming mind, is the material cause of all the people and objects and houses and cats and dogs, whatever you see in the dream. What is it made of? It is made of the dreaming mind. And dreaming mind is possible only because of sleep. And sleep hides the waking world. If it didn't hide the waking world, you wouldn't be able to dream. Similarly, Maya hides our real nature and makes this world seem real. Now, the unreality of the waking world, that's, that's Vedanta. <laughs> that's already you're entering into Vedanta. Don't mix up the example and the exemplified. There's in Sanskrit two words, drishtanta and drashtantika. Drishtanta means example. Drashtantika means uh, what you want to illustrate. So it's like snake and rope and Brahman and the, and the world and Brahman. The snake is the appearance. By error, not knowing the rope, we think it's a snake. The cause is not knowing the rope. And the effect is seeing the snake. So the ignorance of the rope hides the rope and uh, reveals the, or manifests the error called the snake. Similarly, the ignorance of our real nature as Brahman hides it from us and who we who are already Brahman and makes this world appearance seem real. Even after knowing that you are Brahman, this world appearance will continue, but you will know it is nothing other than Brahman, your own self projected in all these ways. Sleep doesn't, it hides the reality of the waking world. It doesn't hide the unreality of the waking world. Notice, when you wake up from sleep, do you realize the unreality of the waking world? No. If that could happen, that would be very nice. Every day we would wake, wake the moment you wake up from sleep, you'd be enlightened. The world is unreal. I am Brahman. No. All that happens when you wake up from sleep is, this is real. That dream was false. The only way of waking up from this, this waking um, uh, you know, world, I gave a talk on this, waking up from waking. So, awakening from waking. Only way of waking up is how? Through knowledge. 
not by sleeping or waking it's by in the waking world when you engage in vedantic inquiry you 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 wake up from this this dream of the waking itself arthur c clark 2001 space odyssey it was one of my favorite terms um, science fiction books they made a film about it which was very very popular a, a classic charles chow atman seems very similar to individual soul yes is there an uh, equivalent in vedanta for guardian angel i guess uh, your guru plays that role or just like the saints in the catholic church there are siddha purushas the enlightened beings who would help you and kalpana says trying to understand sanghata parartatvat would it be correct to say that the jiva sanghata is myself with this name and form exists for something else no this body and this mind this physical body this stula sharira and the mind the subtle body to be more precise stula sharira sukshma sharira karana sharira threefold body physical subtle and causal this combination this compound exists for you the sentient being does this exist for something else no it doesn't exist for something else the whole thing exists for you in fact what krishna just said the entire universe actually exists for you this particular body exists for your enlightenment but also the entire game of the universe is played for your enlightenment and the enlightenment of all of us ultimately in either case what use would sachidananda have for the jeeva as an assembly sachidananda wouldn't have any uh, use for anything at all and there is nothing else after other than sachidananda but we jeevas the sachidananda under the influence of maya we do need all the help that we can get rick says if someone says god doesn't exist in the universe then they also say that they can't also say that god is omnipresent omnipresent i know so in um, christian theology they they have ways of getting around it so god exists as spirit in the universe but not as the material cause of the universe then that would become pan- dangerously pantheistic that got spinoza into trouble with the jewish elders because he is painted as pantheistic though i um, if you, a deeper understanding of spinoza shows him much closer to vedanta actually siddhartha says is purusha the same as nirguna brahman if so to realize nirguna brahman do you need the state of nirbija samadhi okay purusha and prakriti are sankhyan concepts and also used in the patanjali yoga and the corresponding reality in um, advaita would be advaita vedanta would be nirguna brahman but here are major differences the purushas are many there are as many purushas as sentient beings they are all separate purushas in sankhya in yoga but nirguna brahman is one so we are all one unlimited consciousness the moment you say many purushas then it raises many questions so many purushas means many consciousnesses then how can that consciousness be infinite because there is something other than you there is a material universe other than you prakriti entire vast material universe plus there are also many other consciousnesses apart from you i think it was heisenberg who said consciousness is that that which doesn't have a plural uh, so sankhya how would sankhya continue to say that consciousness is infinite and yet say 
other than consciousness material universe is there other than this consciousness there are many other consciousnesses whereas advaita vedanta is the truly um, logical conception of the infinity of consciousness as one consciousness without a second material universe is an appearance in consciousness and the so called many consciousnesses are because so many minds have reflected consciousness in them that's why they seem to be different jivas but it's actually one reality uh, one consciousness so these are the major differences between sankhya and advaita vedanta so moment you say purusha advaita vedanta they will say purusha is nirguna brahman but they will understand purusha in the advaitic sense not in the sankhyan sense uh i missed the first lecture on seventh chapter waiting for the recording it will be uploaded and uh, there i explain the difference between gyana and vigyana there is a lot of discussion on that yes it will come girish says is panpsychism equivalent to vishishtadvaita not equivalent but pretty close i would say uh, more than vishishtadvaita i would say panpsychism is pretty close to sankhya what does sankhya say here is a material universe and also um, consciousness fundamental independent reality interacting with the material universe almost the same thing that panpsychism is saying what david chamas is trying to um, propose when you experience god it is still an object and also how does kshetra and kshetragya fit in very good question this is the foundation for the kshetra and kshetragya field and knower of the field which will come in the 13th chapter what he has just said lower nature the field higher nature the knower of the field the jiva is the kshetragya knower of the field and uh, all the lower nature which he mentioned the five elements mind intellect ego all of that is the field so he will call this field and field knower in the 13th chapter same idea nirguna is not mentioned here bill says correct i am he caught it nicely i am extending the idea to nirguna that absolute reality because this is the chapter about saguna brahman from 7th chapter onwards you will see the emphasis will be on saguna brahman on god so the, not on the absolute shrinivas raju is saying that is the same as abhinna nimitta upadana karana yes this is the statement from the vedanta sara what is brahman abhinna nimitta upadana karana one undivided um, instrumental cause and material cause of the universe what is what is a divided in, instrumental and material cause like a carpenter making a table out of wood wood is the material of the table carpenter is the uh, is the intelligent cause let's say is the intelligent cause which makes the material into uh, a table but in vedanta it's that's not true it's the same reality which is both the consciousness behind it and also the physical reality behind it all right is bliss an attribute of consciousness no from an advaitic perspective we calling it bliss ananda but and it's experienced as bliss in the mind but it is just consciousness itself it is the very unlimitedness of consciousness one advaita teacher put it this way ananda is the purnatvam is the wholeness or the, un, the unlimited unlimitedness the infinitude of consciousness that is when it's realized it's experienced as tremendous freedom bliss and peace in the mind and you call it ananda um oyanga says 
in many teachings silence bliss and light are considered attributes of consciousness beyond attributes of consciousness objects of consciousness then yes when uh, in deep states of meditation or upon the enlightenment realization that i am unlimited awareness the effect will be the experience of silence and bliss and light in the mind yes so so many questions let's just um bracket it off here we'll take it up next time om shanti 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 hari om tat sat Shri Ram Krishna Arpanamastu